We are live. Welcome, everybody, to Still Comfy with Jules and Nat. Today, we are talking about Thelma and Louise. I'm Julia Washington, your host of Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I am joined by Natalie Katona. Hi, I'm Natalie Katona, host of To All the Men I've Tolerated Before, a podcast where every Thursday, you get to hear my thoughts on everyday misogyny. So what perfect movie that we should talk about than uh-huh. Thelma and Louise? Well, yeah. Yeah. Mostly because Louise is tired, like yeah. all of us. Yeah. So let's do a, re- a quick, because this movie is 21 years old. So let's do a quick summary for everybody who maybe haven't seen it in a while or has no idea what we're talking about. Thelma and Louise, here's the summary. Two best friends set out on it. Oh, P.S. This is from Google and I've got a bone to pick. Here we go. Two best friends set out on an adventure, but soon turns around to a terrifying escape from being hunted by the police as these two girls escape for escape for the crimes they committed. Girls. Because, you know, they're not pushing 40 or anything. It's fine. fine. Anyway, this movie did receive six Academy Award nominations and one for Best Original Screenplay. Ridley Scott was nominated for Best Director, and both Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis were nominated for Best Actress. I do want to give this quick note about what Rolling Stone said about the movie in 1991. Call it a comedy of shocking gravity Thelma and Louise begins like an episode of I Love Lucy and ends with the impact of Easy Rider. It's a bumpy path between those points and director Ridley Scott and first-time screenwriter Callie Curry. Don't sure. Don't cushion the ride. The film switches moods violently and sometimes it jerks your chain. But this movie, this, but this is movie dynamite. Detonated by award-caliber performance from Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon in the title rules. Yeah. Yeah. If by roller coaster they mean that in the 90s every movie was too long and we could have <laughs> done with some editing. This was, it was only an, like an hour and 45 minutes. No, it wasn't. It was two hours because you know I checked because I believe that every movie should be a cool 90 minutes. <laughs> oh, I guess. I See, I didn't feel like it was too long. So why don't you start with, actually, I don't know this answer. Was this the first time you've seen Thelma and Louise? This was the first time I watched Thelma and Louise all the way through and not just clips of Thelma and Louise from VH1's We Love the 90s. <laughs> nice i'm really mad that i was a child during vh1's i love the 90s because i would have killed on that show yeah i would have killed on i love the 2000s i love the 70s i love the 80s i would have fucking killed on those shows but instead i was a child so vh1 if you ever want to make a comeback yeah (laughs) let's do it Okay, so as an adult, for the first time watching it all the way through, and not just clips from VH1's I Love the 90s, tell me what you thought. First off, Brad Pitt was ugly when he was younger. I so don't agree. My mother agreed, because she called yesterday, right, I think in the middle, or maybe towards the end of me watching it, and I was like, young Brad Pitt is scrawny, and he has a shitty face, and she's like, yeah. (laughs) I don't agree. 
He has a shitty face and he's scrawny. <laughs> and he is not the Achilles Brad Pitt that I knew him to be for my entire adolescence. Or so I wrote down on my notes, I will now choose to believe and rewrite history that Legends of the Fall is what actually made Brad Pitt a sex symbol and not this movie. Uh- it did Thelma and Louise make Brad Pitt a sex symbol? That's what I love the 90s from VH1 said. Oh, oh you know. Buttons to make noises. <laughs> All right, Penelope, this time you can't kick me out of the broadcast because it's mine. <laughs> we'll just crater her like a baby like my sister tried to. Yes. So I bet, you know what I bet? I bet it's because it's that scene when they finally like, when Gina finally gets when uh, Louis Thelma finally gets done, right? Thelma's first orgasm. I feel like that's probably the scene that everyone's because that scene, that opening of that scene is kind of steamy. So that's probably what it was. This movie really hit home that I myself am the Louise. Like you, I think that everyone like prays that they are the Thelma in the friendship because they get to fuck Brad Pitt and like get wild. I am the Louise. I am the one who is constantly looking at you going, that man ain't shit. And then when he steals our stuff, I'm like, oh, if only someone would have told you that he was mediocre. And then <laughs> and then I am also the one who is like watching men harass you at a bar and you giggling at it and being like, that's harassment. <laughs> oh, no, no, Louise, you're just so jaded from waiting tables all those years. Oh. No, Louise is not jaded. She's just very well in tuned with hum- human behavior. And honestly, more people should have listened to her because I wrote down multiple times, Louise, it hasn't even gotten better. <laughs> it hasn't even gotten better. When she's like, we don't live in the type of world that believes women about what they go through. I was like, we still don't. <laughs> we still you know don't. what? You know what? The Atlantic did an article um, that said that basically was like this movie has aged really well and that's actually not a good thing because that just means that we haven't done anything in the last and this article came out at its 25th anniversary um and it and basically saying like we haven't done anything in 25 years to improve because that scene where Thelma's like we got to go to the police. We got to tell the police. We can, we, you know, the police will understand. And, da, da, da. and Louise is like, no, no, that still happens. The police, like the way we see these cases handled in the news, it still attacks women. It still makes women out to be the bad guy. It still makes it out as, you know, she did something to deserve it. She was mm-hmm. egging him on because, you know, Louise flat out says, you know, everyone's going to be, what are they going to say? You were in there hugging on him and kissing on him and dancing real close. Like, what are they going to do? Like, you basically, do? yeah. What is the man's name who we murder? Harlan. Harlan. I would like to point out that police and FBI put on a lot of effort to avenge the murder of a man named Harlan who was like shot down at a bar. I'm like, I also don't feel like that's realistic. Well, and then the waitress at the bar is like, do you ask his wife? Because he steps out on her all the time. (laughs) I come that waitress because like she, she brings the vibe of the women's restroom out to the world Uh so she like she sidles up to that cop and he's like well you saw him come out Mm -hmm. uh with two women and she's like they're not the murdering type and that's what we always say ladies like if we watch some misogynist walk out into the parking lot 
with two women and he don't come back we're just like they seem like the nicest they tipped me real well they prayed before their meal like no at no point do we just go you know what maybe they did do it no that's not girl code that woman understood girl code (laughs) she knew it was up and honestly they weren't the murdering type until somebody tried to rape Thelma sorry content warning Oh my god, yeah. And then for whatever reason, probably because I've only seen clips from um VH1, I thought they murdered her useless husband. I thought it was an Earl had to die situation. No. Mm-mm. Which brings me to my next question. Which man was more trash? Harlan or Hal? They were all tra- no, number one, Jimmy was not trash. I, was I say, don't you don't you don't you dare drag Jimmy's he, name through the mud. Jimmy's a hero. Jimmy's he, a fucking hero. Jimmy's the only man who's allowed to use the hashtag not all men. Okay. Yeah. He's the only one that put in the work to use the hashtag. Um, my first note about the husband, Daryl, was I love that men trap us into oh, I wrote how. <laughs> I think it's Daryl. Go ahead. Keep talking. I go, I love that men trick us into marrying them just to then be so put out by our mere existence. Like, what was Thelma doing? She was just in the kitchen. <laughs> she was well, here's the thing. Crazy. She said, she tells JD, played by Brad Pitt, that she would, they were married at, she was married at 18, and they dated for four years before that. Oh, oh yeah, Daryl. So you were 14 years old. When you met the love of your life. Put that shit in air quotes, because there's no, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. I would like more context on how old Daryl was when he started grooming Thelma. I would just like more context. Yeah, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Daryl's gross. We need to remind the listeners that if you're live, we can't see that you're live, but we would love to tell you hello. So make sure you comment. Oh, yeah. You have to comment. We're using a third party streaming app. So we don't know that you're here until you tell us you're here. Right above my head. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole time Daryl is trash and he's so awful and then like she just I, it might be too early to get into this but like my favorite part of the movie is Thelma's evolution because in the opening scene, when well, not the opening scene, we're at, when they're at the bar before the big thing happens and mm-hmm. Harlan comes over, he's like, hey, ladies, how y'all doing tonight? And, um, you know, Louise is like, we're fine, thanks. And, and Thelma's like, oh, you know, I'm just going out and I haven't been out. My husband this and Louise is so it mad at her boyfriend that. ever been in a restaurant. For real. And then by the end of the movie, she's like you know what fuck this shit i get it now i think i've been i'm she even said i'm awake and it feels great i'm awake and it feels great and i think i'm gonna hold up a gun to a cop (laughs) and put him in his trunk i was like thelma thelma (laughs) i will have to say that good on louise and good on susan sarandon for continuing to support women throughout the entire two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Because after the Brad Pitt... No, it was before the Brad Pitt fiasco. At some point, I was like, I would have had to cut Thelma loose. <laughs> I would have had to go to Mexico by myself. Even, yeah. even though she is your BFF forever? 
you know what? I don't even know if that was established. Okay. They were going on a weekend trip because Louise had a contact for a cabin and we've all been there. We've all been on a trip with people that we barely know because someone has a cabin for free. (laughs) There were a lot of references throughout the movie that indicated to me that they had been really good friends for a long time. I'm sure that they had been good friends for a good time. Number one, my best friend would tell me, cut me loose if that's how I'm acting. If you need to get, I texted her. In the middle of this movie. And I was like, I'm watching Thelma and Louise for the first time. And I need you to know that if we murdered a rapist, we would handle it way better. Cool <laughs> as a cucumber. We wouldn't even have given a fuck. Because we're dead inside. And she's yeah. like, 100%. I go, we would have just done it. Been like, cool, I guess that's what happened. Got into the car. <laughs> and be like, I guess we're going to Mexico. And then we would have put on, like, Now's Greatest Hits 14. <laughs> And we would have just rode into the sunset, forgetting that man's name, <laughs> forgetting that we even did it. Like, or my favorite plot device could be maybe you should at least try to tell the p- police because they were the only two out there. So they could have said any lie. They yeah. could have said that he lunged for her again or whatever. Self defense, I heard, gets you a lot. <laughs> And that's what Thelma, that was Thelma's argument. Like if we, like where we're the only two out there, we could say whatever, like she basically says that to Louise and Louise says no, which brings us to the point where something happened in Texas to Louise and she didn't want to talk about it, but Texas gets brought up again. It's almost like it's another character in the movie because they're in Oklahoma and she's like, you got to get figure out how to get us to Mexico without driving through Texas. And Louise Thelma's like, I'm sorry, do you not know geography? Because that's not possible. Honestly, I wouldn't have. So I would have been like, what do you mean we can't do it? (laughs) What do you mean? Because I have to imagine that you would have to go to the states that are above Texas, swing into California. So you can go Mexico. You can go to Louisiana on one side, or what's on the other side of Texas? I looked it up earlier because I was like, wait a minute. I you feel like circumvent that entire top portion of the state by touching. Yeah, because the shape of Texas too, the that way is- Texas is shaped is like even after you get out of um, Oklahoma to get like you'd have to go up and around. Right. So you either have to go back into Arkansas, down into Louisiana. There's no way you'd have to go all the way to the west to New all Mexico. You'd have to go all the way. Yeah. Um. And I understand that. I understand that Louise has also lost her entire faith in humanity and the law and the government. And I'm like, same. I mean, I guess I too. And then like when Mexico didn't become an option, I was like, y'all just change your entire projection and go to Canada. They don't even, they don't even think you can get Throw there. Them off the just set. Go, go north. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just go north. Go straight a little bit and then just go north. And then they're confused because they're convinced that you've only been going south. To Mexico. To Mexico. Yeah. Damn JD is the one who gave him away. Again, fuck Brad Pitt in this movie. He wasn't even good looking. He didn't fill out those jeans. He had like, for one thing, at some point I was like, he looked like he doesn't have a snarl tooth, but he looks like he has a snarl tooth. Like one day he will have a snarl tooth. And I'm like, well... (laughs) There it is. I'm like, what the hell? Listen, I don't agree. So if you're listening out there, do you agree with Natalie? I wouldn't have slept with Louise Brad Pitt. 
I, I would sleep with Brad Pitt today. I would love to trip over Brad Pitt today trying to make a phone call. I would love. My favorite was my favorite was when he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a my parole officer. And she's like, oh, my God, are you a criminal? And he's like, no, I'm not a criminal. I just did some robbing. And then like and then like 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 you think it's okay to leave sixty seven hundred dollars on the bedside table when somebody just told you that he's like literally knocked over every kind of convenience store from here to wherever he's from. That's what I wrote down. I go, Thelma, he literally tells you that he robs people. And then he's gonna rob you. And they foreshadow that with the ring when he's like, "Oh, you're at the advantage." When they're playing that hand game, he's like, "Let's just remove that real quick." He totally stole her ring. Not great, not great. Um, also, I love that the cops like knew him. They were like, "Come on, JD, sit down. Tell us about Mexico." <laughs> and then I almost did believe the other, the like main cop when he was like. I can make this better for you. You just have to start cooperating. And I was like, this would be the time to yeah. strike a deal if you're going to strike a deal. Mm-hmm. Because part of the advantage of no one taking women seriously is that they will write a story in their head that we accidentally murdered someone. Mm-hmm. And then we were so flustered that we got into our car and we drove away from it. And then we got even more flustered. So we accidentally robbed a gas station. <laughs> so... And, like, you can play that to your advantage if you're next to an old dude who may or may not arrest you. And you're just like, you know, you know, I just got so confused. (laughs) I just got so confused. Especially if you look innocent and pretty like they did. Hi, Mario. Yeah, if you're Gina Davis pretty, you can get away with anything, including shooting some guy down in a parking lot. Here's my favorite. Here's another favorite. I just love this movie so hard. They describe Gina Davis's character as being 5'10. She's six feet tall in real she's life. She's so fucking tall. So I the whole time I'm like, oh my God, she's never actually standing next to anybody in this entire movie. They Are have you- her st- staged in a way where she's never directly next to somebody. That was genius but, they, but she's always looming over susan sarandon i was yeah. like this almost makes it worse because it, it, like because she is so tall and i get what they're trying to do they're trying to offset it like they did the same thing with patrick swayze and jennifer gray because it turns out that brad Pitt and patrick swayze aren't seven foot tall like <laughs> the movies would have us believe right so then you have to like be like well ladies can't be taller than the leading man and then you gotta offset it but i was like she literally looks like she's loomy over louise the entire movie see i didn't i didn't get the look but maybe because i've been watching so this movie tall. for 20 years maybe and i don't think that um a league of their own for some reason, A League of Their Own, and maybe it's because Tom Hanks is almost as tall as Gina Davis or taller. A League of Their Own, you hardly notice her height. You yeah. hardly notice it. But this movie, I was like, look how fucking tall Gina Davis yeah, is. Yeah, because in A League of Their Own, they have Kit in heels and things like that, mm-hmm. and the girls in other heels and stuff. And she's the catcher, so she's always in the squat position. Right, so that changes it. it a little bit, too, in the in the dis- distances. Catching like um, this. Yeah, she's she knows better. She knows not to catch the ball like that. Um, but in Thelma and Louise, 
because they're in cowboy boots so she's in flats and then mm-hmm. you know louise is in cowboy boots which don't really have a lot of heel to them right um i mean they have a heel but not the same but they don't. i don't know um can we talk i want to go back to louise and what mm-hmm. a drag it is to be Sorry, the friend you. who already knows so like you're louise and you've mm-hmm. got this boyfriend he's jimmy you're pretty sure he's mediocre but you like wake up every day knowing that you wake up every day knowing like Jimmy may or may not call today. He's pretty mediocre. This, that, and the other. And then you're looking at your friend Thelma. It is a drag being a friend, watching their friends in like marriages that aren't abusive enough that you can like call a hotline about it. But you're just like watching it, and it and it's like, what if you got to freely enjoy yourself? as an adult woman, which is something clearly Thelma wasn't getting to do because every time she breathed, Daryl yelled. Mm -hmm. And like, even the way, like she's just wrapped up in that bathrobe and she's like, Daryl, I just saw, maybe you would like some tea. He's mad at her for asking (laughs) if he wants tea. He's just like, I'm sorry, Daryl, if you need two hours to make yourself into a human being before you have to go to work, wake up two hours earlier. Like, I don't understand why you're griping at all of us. And then there's Louise, and you call your friend, and you're like, I'm ready for hot girl shit. How about you? Mm-hmm. And it's a drag. It is a drag to hear your friends go, I don't know. I haven't heard. I haven't even asked my husband yet. I am that bitch who tells you, like, since when do we ask men anything, let alone permission? They but don't <laughs> to Thelma's credit, she, she goes anyway. Yes, she goes anyways. But it's still... but. Then you put her in a car with Thelma and it's going to be fun. We got good tunes on the, in the car and we're going, you know, to the woods. We have a net and a lantern <laughs> to indicate we're camping. And then you get to a bar and your friend Thelma all of a sudden gets into like hot girl season. And like, then she completely starts ignoring you for the next mediocre man that approaches the table. And you're just like, it is a really fucking goddamn drag being me <laughs> because you're clearly not getting what you want from your marriage. So now we're just going to get it from a guy named Harlan. And I have to spend my evening babysitting you because you don't know that this Harlan guy is clearly a creep. And then she's just sitting there. She's like, I guess I'll have a margarita. And she's like sipping her margarita. They left those drinks unattended. I was like, that's a big 2000. I know. I saw that. I was like, all the joys of 1991, I guess. That's a big 2000s. No, no. (laughs) You you get a cup with a lid. You take it to the dance floor. And I couldn't help but think, I was like, God, it is. It is just a drag to be socializing the way that Louise is forced to socialize because she quote unquote knows better. It's like when we all woke up to capitalism during the uh, pandemic, but then you went to your boss and he still wanted to play by capitalism mm. rules. And you're like, fucker, I'm onto your game. Yeah. <laughs> That's Louise with skeezy men who are clearly skeezy from the jump, but Thelma just doesn't have the radar for it. She's like, oh, he's not good, Thelma. And she's like, I want to dance. I want to have some fun. I want to I take um, 
some whiskey with a Coke back and, mm -hmm, and not I'm just any whiskey, wild turkey, I want some which wild is turkey. like the most disgusting it's whiskey so of all time. It's, it's cheap, so as fuck. cheap as fuck. <laughs> Okay, so I will say this in Thelma's defense, you know, she was groomed at 14, married 18, so she's not as emotionally evolved as Louise. She's, you know, controlled and this is this is such a this is such a strong this is so typical. This we see this a lot and I don't know about in the Midwest, but where I am, the Midwest of California, I see it a lot where a lot of women, they have, oh, we've been together since high school and aren't we so in love? And their husbands are just trash. And this is a reoccurring theme. And I think that's why Thelma and Louise holds up so well, because this type of narrative still exists and it's still accepted. Right. It is still accepted to be in love with your soulmate at 14, get married at 18, be completely naive about the world and let your husband control everything while he's also controlling you and treating you like garbage. Yeah. And I'm saying that that is why it's a drag to be the person. I tell it to my therapist all the time. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you know how last week I said it's really hard being the coolest person in the room? It's also really hard to be the most healed person in the room. And unfortunately, Louise had to heal through a lot of shit that a lot of women do. But once you heal from that shit, you do have a whole new perspective mm -hmm. on the world and how it treats women and what happens when women are victims and all of it. So for me, that's to all the men I've tolerated before. What have I done for a year? I've grieved. I've reflected. I've thought deeply. I've met like-minded people. And then you go out into the fucking actual Midwest and you're looking at people and you're like, that's how you're going to be treated. That's how you're just because he got you a trinket and put a yeah. ring on it. You're yeah. going to be undervalued every day in your home every day in your home it's 2022 yeah well and it's a lot of like that mentality or that you haven't we a lot of folks haven't grown from that mentality i see that all the time with it and i think we've had this conversation before like when women still sort of uphold the patriarchy yeah and 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 buy into it and when don't really see of it and you're like what yeah you and doing? it's kind of like you know that you know that we don't have to exist this way like you're playing into the game and it's frustrating um and that's you know that's hard too but what i loved about Thelma and louise is while to your point you know louise is probably like this is hard I appreciate, though, that she did stick with her friend's evolution because it is really easy to be like, okay, you're not ready. We're not in the same place. I'm mm -hmm. out. Yeah. I'm out. And luckily, through robbing a convenience store, someone <laughs> gets with it. But then also, but then, like, it's still with such, like, a like, at some point, I really was in Louise's shoes and I had to think with my open, smart, healed brain. And I was like, this girl is a liability. I could get to Mexico. I could be living the life that I want to live or I don't want to live, but I've shot a man. And this girl is a liability. And we're in the year of our Lord and Savior 2022. The apocalypse is nigh. So we all have to start making those lists. <laughs> and it's like, who's a liability <laughs> and who isn't? 
because the zombies be coming or the plague or the you know the button with the big booms just like any of it and i look at penelope sometimes and i'm like you won't even get into this fucking cat carrier and one day i might have to board a motherfucking train with you <laughs> to try and get us out of this country and you're just sitting here being salty and i have to think about that every day <laughs> and at some point i was like like my logic Capricorn kicked in and I was like Thelma's a liability Louise you gotta cut her loose <laughs> and take Jimmy to Mexico with you because let me tell you ladies if you call a man or if you text him on your phone you're like I did something it was bad and I need money and he doesn't just go okay how much and he doesn't ask you any stupid follow up questions like well what did you do how bad is it is it truly that bad are you sure you're just not being anxious then he's not the motherfucking one <laughs> He's not the motherfucking one. When you get the phone call that says, I did something, it is bad, I need money, you will never hear from me again, the only acceptable answer is okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, don't hate on, like, you're not hating on Jimmy right now, but you, you're earlier. It's like, because he does pull through. He might, you know, in the early part of the movie, they're just like, they're mad at each other. We don't know why they're fighting. We don't know why he and Louise are having a riff. But he fucking pulls through for her in a way that it's just like unconditional because he's, you know, it's almost like he knows and understands like he's not getting this money back. He probably is never going to see her again, but he's making a last ditch effort and he's supporting her through it and loving her through it anyway. Well, and then I also wrote down, I was like, Louise, I think I don't even think I was talking to Louise at that point because I don't know her mama. I was talking to everybody that I know and I was like, you don't call your man for your getaway money. No, men be reckless. <laughs> I go, you call your mom, your unhinged aunt. <laughs> like we know who we call when we got to have a getaway car and getaway money. And it's not our man. It's our mom or our unhinged aunties because what I have learned as I get older is that they have lived through some shit <laughs> and they won't ask questions. <laughs> They'll be okay. Unless it's my mom. No, not not over there on Namley's mama's side of things. On Namley's mama's side of things, we send money, we ask questions later, and we hope to hear from you next Christmas. Not ours, not ours. They do not do that. That's the kind of mom I am, though. I'm like, it's like, I need money. Okay, how much? Is this enough? Am I enabling? I don't know. But here's the thing. It's really shitty to justify why you need money. It is. Like, don't put people through that. You you're don't know what's called, going on in their life. Just know they need for taking one more rapist off the streets. Like... Right? Like, come on. And the audacity of this man who's when she's defending herself and he's like, don't you talk to me that way. I'm sorry. You are going to do something that should be very intimate and personal and loving yeah. in a very aggressive way. In a parking you lot. don't get to talk to her that way. The audacity of men. The audacity. Um, <laughs> That's our first still comfy merch. The audacity of men. The audacity. Um, because I will say that what I appreciated about the triggering scene is that for someone who hasn't lived through anything like that, that is what I imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. I imagine it to be you were hanging out with someone you knew and all of a sudden a flip switched in their head and they got volatile and they turned ugly on you. And it didn't matter what you said 
or what you did, if they're stronger, bigger, or honestly will just hit you first, then they're going to get the upper hand. And unfortunately, when it comes to mental and emotional games that will be played in my um, relationships, that is how it goes. It goes, Natalie tries to assert herself and be like, hi, over here, I'm strong and I'm my own person. And then the person who feels fragile about that has to get the upper hand mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And luckily, I've never been in a physical situation like that. But when I think about all of the things that we've talked about onto all the men I've tolerated before, the more that I go, okay, so in the 90s, we had to concentrate because I feel like assault was a big plot point in the 90s but as like a negative plot point not like in the sexy way that games of game of thrones tries to throw it off like hey <laughs> we took someone without their permission again hey, so, hey. it's still but icky gave, but then we gave her dragons <laughs> yeah i'm sorry it's still icky regardless it's, it's, of century it's icky it is the year of our lord and savior 2022 so in the 90s i truly feel like The only way that we could get across that women are treated badly in our society and culture is by hitting and assaulting them. Mm -hmm. And then that would leak into the 2000s with our lovely PSAs of like, don't leave your drinks unattended. Right. Don't be walking at dark. Why are you walking at dark? Put your keys between your fingers. Walk in numbers. Because we have lived through the 90s media Mm -hmm. of what do women do in movies? They get hit. And then in... Now, in the upper 20s, I feel like abusers are just so sneaky about it now. Yeah. And then we have to start portraying like, okay, so what does it look like when someone gets in your head and starts fucking messing around with you? Like, what is it like the gaslighting and the manipulation and the narcissism that women are going through in their relationships? Like, it's all partnered. It all started in the 90s with Thelma and Louise. Mm -hmm. And every line that Thelma or that Louise says in this movie has not budged one millimeter when she was saying it in the 90s. Right. Well, and to your point, I think, you know, in the 90s, we were in a position to actually start telling those stories, but we were telling them in a way that was shocking. And then over time because the more the stories are being told the more nuanced they can get because now we're getting we've the the groundwork's been laid now the path has been paved and we can start having more of that um in-depth conversation what are the nuances what does this look like when somebody does play your head games because i'm pretty sure daryl was playing head games with louise her entire life that just would have not been as easily understood until we start with the violence and then work our way backwards. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are now. I think with the work our way backwards um, portion of it, where we, we can get into that point of like, here's like the psychology behind it because now we have studies. Now we have Mm -hmm. these conversations. Now people do feel more comfortable and confident coming forward and speaking about their experiences. And then how do we translate that into a version of art? And I do get uh, that like that scene with Jimmy, the last scene with Jimmy and Louise when mm-hmm. he comes and he brings the money and you find out that he was going to marry her mm-hmm. and it's like he might not be the best guy, but he is the guy that loves you the best or whatever. And you're just sitting there and you're like, well, Louise, I've been there too. I've been there too. When you're looking at the fool 
and you're trying to suss it out and mm-hmm. you're like, well, do you love me? Is this a mind game? Is this just some power play because someone before me made you feel fragile? Did I make you feel fragile? And now you got to take me down one. Cause I've been in the take me down one relationship too. And for all of that to come out and for Louise to not have the resources to actually heal in the way where she like, and Susan Sarandon does a great job of yeah. flipping that switch in that scene too. When she actually realizes, Oh, he wasn't running around with, on me. He wasn't staying away from me because he's no good. Like he literally, I think, what is he a truck driver or something? Like he's he a musician. Has he's, oh, a he's a musician. Mm-hmm. There we go. No wonder I'm taking his side. He's a musician. <laughs> but he's got to be out on the road. So the moment you can see it on Susan Sarandon's face when Louise flips the script in her head and she goes, fuck, Jimmy's loved me all along mm-hmm. and he loved me the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that part of the story is important to tell too because so many, me personally and so many women I know, we don't know how to tell anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we've been ran around, abused, gaslit, you know, all manipulated into situations we want to be manipulated in, all of it to the point where it's really fucking hard to tell anymore. Well, and we're not conditioned as women to just be upfront about something. If mm-hmm. something's bothering me, I don't have the com. Well, that's not true. I have the confidence to be like, what the fuck is wrong with like, what is going on calling out kind of stuff, but that's just not what our society supports and encourages. So, you know, Louise probably didn't feel like she could say, Jimmy, what is going on? Like I'm feeling insecure in our relationship. And like, turns out if she had said that it probably would have been received, which for 1991 is kind of a big deal because we don't have that type of representation until, you know, the last five years we're starting to see stuff like that. Not even the last three years, maybe we're starting to see stuff like that where men are being vulnerable, are being loving represented through pop culture. It's still in the minority, but guys like Jimmy aren't, we don't see them a lot. That's why, and I know we're not talking about it. That's why in season three, I started feeling bad for Paxton. Is that his name? The good looking one? Yeah, the hottie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I started feeling bad for Paxton because clearly Paxton lived a life before Debbie. Mm -hmm. And like every time Paxton walked into a room, whether he opened his goddamn mouth or not, someone would be the first to jump on him and be like, he's a bad guy fuck you and dump you and like he did it he also sat in a room and apologized for hours on end to every mm-hmm. woman that he did it to but i think the brilliant thing with that character paxton is that you see him be so emotional about that yeah so like well how long am i going to have to live that down right. that i have made mistakes right right <sighs> Just if only Debbie could just be the person who would be like, oh, you and so that's the thing that always bothered me about relationships just in general when Mm -hmm. girls or guys, men or women couldn't accept the fact that your partner had a life before you. And so then you'd get all in your head, create your own story and narrative without talking to somebody. I hate that shit. I had a friend that would do that with her boyfriend all the time. And it was like, 
And so then I would come in with something logical and reason reasonable, like, oh, mm-hmm. I think it's probably because of this, um, because I've been single for a long, yeah. long time. And so, and no, I don't think that's it. And then she'd finally get emotional enough to have a meltdown. And then they'd talk about it because he's like, why are you crying what? right what? now? What did I do? And then she tells him and he's like, no, if you had just asked, this is the answer. And I was like, and then it would turn out I was fucking mm-hmm. right. But she would create this story in her head about everything instead of talking to him about it. And it's so infuriating uh, that that kind of shit happens. And I think that's another reason why that scene between Jimmy and um, Louise is so beautiful because she's realizing like, oh. Yeah. Like I've had 65 conversations with Jimmy this past week and 55 of them were in my own head. Uh-huh. And, yep. and it works both ways too, because 65% of the conversations that men have had with me have been in their own head. Yeah. And then, and then you, and then here I am sitting in an olive garden vibing with my breadsticks. <laughs> the all you can eat breadsticks. My all you can eat breadsticks. Oh, uh, because when I'm there, I'm family. And it's very Italian. So I'm, I'm glad I'm they're just, staying on brand with my people. I'm just trying to be at Olive Garden with that good uh, salad dressing. <laughs> and you're literally, and I've said whatever the triggering word was that like we had a fight about that I wasn't present to <laughs> earlier. And then you're giving me the silent treatment. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, hi. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to really like enjoy my spaghetti carbonara, even though we are at Olive Garden and it's greasy as fuck. <laughs> so I'm like literally mopping it up with my free breadstick. Yeah. And I would just like to know why you are secretly mad at me. And then the, it's the double down, right? It's the, I'm not mad. I wish you could see your face right now in this motherfucking Olive Garden. And I might put you on blast on TikTok over it <laughs> like, right and people just like and i don't i mean it was the 50s we're gonna go see um don't worry darling and we're gonna figure out where we all decided that it was be- better to conceal don't feel it wasn't elsa it was the 50s <laughs> well and that's the other part of it too like i it took me a long time to learn that when i'm not ready to talk rather than saying i'm fine i say I'm not ready, but I will let you know when I'm ready because, you know, yeah, I'm in the process of breaking down. I'm debriefing internally how I feel and I don't know how to articulate it. Like we don't create that culture for that because you do have situations where poor Thelma has been trying to articulate what she wants her entire fucking life, apparently, because they started dating at 14, 14. and he's shooting her down constantly, creating self-doubt, creating lack of worth on purpose to keep her in his in her place so he can do whatever the hell he wants and still maintain his image. And so then you create this environment where we just don't feel like we can talk because there's no validity to it. And we don't learn the language. We don't allow ourselves spaces to have the language to say, I'm upset, but I can't talk about it right now. Well, and like, you know, and we're always talking about how millennials did the work so the Gen Z could fly. Right. We watched our mother's, our aunts, our grandmothers 
basically be told to quiet down. Yeah. Like, I have, I have sat in a room with my mother, my aunts, my grandmother, whatever, and I have watched them express a need mm-hmm. and for it to just leave into the ether mm-hmm. while it got ignored and floated away and then just floated out of reach for anyone to help fucking with. Right. And, and what it does, and again, this is why I like parenting and paying attention to how you're speaking to people in front of your kids. So fucking important mm-hmm. because what it paints in my head is no one's going to take care of my needs, but my, but myself, I'm not important enough to care about people got stress. People got guilt. People got a job. People mm-hmm. like They're messy and I got to do what I got to do to survive. Yeah. Yeah. What's really fresh. One of the things that I think the, sh- the movie really highlights well is how, what's the word I'm looking for? Harvey Keitel's character is like he to me he seemed genuine right like he genuinely sees that this is a fluke they're actually truly harmless women or you know all these top games (laughs) I'm choosing to believe that he because in the end when he's like why are why all this heavy artillery for chasing these women this is ridiculous like he's basically calling out this guy for calling in fucking snipers to take out these two women who literally have no well we don't know what louise's deal is but thelma's an innocent essentially prior to this and so oh my god where did my train go (laughs) so bad you thought the cop was genuine and oh we don't trust cops yeah and so i'm thinking so so he he so what the movie i think does really well is kind of show like regardless like there's that there's that delicate balance between like oh i'm so sad like this thing happened i'm crying and men are uncomfortable so they just cave there's a delicate balance between that and they're armed and dangerous so we need snipers and the helicopter and everybody they're armed and dangerous she's got a 30 fucking 38 like no i'm sorry a 38 compared to your sniper the sniper's gonna win every time you need to calm down (laughs) so i think what the movie does greatly if we are choosing to believe that the cop is a sympathetic character i'm still just the one harvey um the cop that is how he will be referred to (laughs) oh my god God, (laughs) natalie Harvey um, tells an amazing actor. He's no, like, I love him. Okay, I love him. I was so happy to see him. But then, hi, Joe. <laughs> she's now that we have an outside. She's like, you will open this door and let me outside. So that's what she wants. You keep talking while I let her out. Okay. Are you gonna be able to hear me? Okay. So I think what the movie does beautifully is the foil between Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon and then the cop and how the snowball gets away from you because we have all been on the top of the hill with a little clump of snow going damn I lied to my husband and then you make one more choice and it's like I lied to my husband and then I continue to sex that man that I work with and then it continues to snowball and what the movie highlighted for me was There are all of these opportunities to sit back, breathe, and reassess your situation. 
And it happens with Thelma and Louise because all of a sudden, you know, we killed a guy, now we're robbing people, now we're holding cops at gunpoint, all of it. But it happens with the cop too because he's like, okay, you know, this guy got shot at a bar. It is my job to figure out how that happens. Mm -hmm. And then when he's convinced that he knows who it is, but then he also doesn't know how to pin it on them or get a hold of them because it's not like they had a cell phone to track. Right. Um, <laughs> wiretapping or phone tapping. Wiretapping. <laughs> then he has to call the FBI. And that's another evolution of the snowball getting out of his control. Yeah. So you're doing all of these things in panic because you think that that's what's going to get you the most control. But what it's doing is it's making that snowball bigger and faster down that mm-hmm. hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the whole time they're in that chase scene, again, I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, like, you know who could have helped mitigate Thelma's fucking husband? Oh, Daryl. Daryl could have said, my wife's not like this. You guys should maybe like dial it back. I don't know who hurt Daryl, but they did a number on Daryl because he, Thelma was just chained to her microwave all day every day but for some reason daryl thought that well number one daryl was projecting his own behaviors onto thelma right but like daryl was clearly either running around on thelma or finding some reason to not oh he was 100 percent running around on thelma remember when she said i called him at 4 a.m and he wasn't home and then she also makes that statement too where it's like oh i don't i you're working late again like that's so weird that people be buying cars so late on a friday i don't understand (laughs) girl's not afraid to call you out in the nicest way like that's the extent of what she'll do sometimes people are still gambling at 4 a.m we all got vices (laughs) yeah so he's projecting all of the shittiness that lives into his soul onto thelma because that's what abusers like to do. They like to make you out to be the person who can't be trusted and yeah. the person who's actually doing the major majority of the hurting because it just wipes you out at the bottom to have any sort of ledge to stand on yeah. when you're like, hey, I don't think it's nice that you're dating women behind my back. Then all of a sudden they've got a laundry list yeah. of things that they've made up about you because you went out to dinner with Louise. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I felt bad when Jimmy got tricked into telling them about Mexico. I was like, Jimmy. Wait, you mean you mean JD? JD's the one that told me about Mexico. Oh, I heard Jimmy. Like, I heard that they had gone to Jimmy's house. No, mm-hmm. Jimmy ID JD. Jimmy ID J- mm-hmm. Jimmy ID JD. And then JD's the one who was like, yeah. they're probably going to Mexico. And I was like, Jimmy. You don't get involved at all. That's why we call our mamas and our unhinged aunts. Because we know. I'll look at whatever picture you want me to look at. But I'm not getting involved. I don't know these people. I don't know you. I don't know these people in your mug shots. I've never met Brad Pitt one day in my life. (laughs) You know, that's an interesting thing, too. Because on the one hand, you know, it's like saying something could be the difference. So that's the balance, right? Like you say something when someone's been kidnapped or taken Mm -hmm. but you keep your mouth shut when it comes to like a murder yeah well but see if it was the other way around it was a bunch of dudes murdering a woman i wouldn't keep my mouth shut 
Right. Circumstances, everything. All yeah, my legal advice is for women and women only getting away with crimes. <laughs> That's all my legal advice is. It's not for men. It's not for men to get uh, away with the crimes that they commit against us. They already do. Yeah. That one who's already living in my neighborhood again. Mm. Um somebody something else that we didn't talk about that i think is a nice little frame parallel situation in in the movie as well is the truck driver he sort of represents all men in a way this p.s people accused this movie of misandry oh of course they did because women were just living in the world and observing how men treated them and they're like misandry don't you hold a mirror up to me i love how this movie filmed men because even when an old man was just sitting there looking at you, you felt like it was the most lecherous old man that you had ever run into in your entire life. I'm like, I love how this movie, this is the perfect. I like to get hung up on the female gaze because I don't know what it looks like in film or literature uh, compared to the male gaze because we don't see it very often. And then mm-hmm. someone tried to explain it to me in a very sexual, like in a sexual context. Mm. And but I was like, no, this is the female gaze looking at yeah. every man like he could literally tie you up and throw you in his truck. <laughs> this is the female gaze. And what's interesting is on over on Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, we have this conversation all the time. Like a film written by a woman and directed by a man, there's always some sort of miss that happens. But in the case of Thelma and Louise, that's not true. Ridley Scott does an amazing job yeah. directing this film. It's like he it's like it's like first of all. Or did, or did it was probably like five Gina. years ago hold on it was like pro- probably like five years ago when i realized it was a ridley scott film which is kind of shitty because like right in the first 10 seconds i'm uh-huh. like look at you ridley scott yeah yeah i it haven't does. watched a ridley one in a while sometimes i don't pay attention to the opening credits it's fine um but but it he he does it so masterfully that you forget that like so so then it's like okay guys why can't you tell stories, female stories, well then? Because if Ridley Scott can do it and win an Academy Award, why are the rest of you failing? Listen, did Ridley Scott do it or did Gina and Susan make it easy for him to do it? Well, and then that becomes the combination of like you have the perfect pairing Mm -hmm. because you have a director who I'm assuming, I don't Mm -hmm. know, you have a director who understands how to work with his, his leading cast and just all of his cast but his leading yeah. roles and then he's created an environment where you can be excel in what you do because i think we had this conversation i don't know when we had this conversation but in one I'm, of our I'm other lives to think about it where it's like you had the best cast in the world and this is the trash that you yeah because because what happens is, is the director's always right as an actor, mm-hmm. at least in theater. And we've had, and I can't remember which episode we talked about this on, but it was a still comfy episode in theater. You don't go against what the director says. The it's director says, a league of their own. Yeah. I said that Abby Jacobson is not getting notes. <laughs> no one's giving Abby Jacobson notes because if they did, she'd be doing a better job. Yeah. You, you, you the director has the final say the director listens in theory to the producer i don't know about television and film but in theater that's how it works the director tells the actors what to do the actors do not necessarily have the freedom or flexibility you could challenge but then that puts your career in jeopardy yada 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 so when you have an environment 
like with the one I'm assuming Ridley Scott created, where you can have such star power used well and properly to execute the story and capture all the nuance that mm-hmm. Thelma and Louise captures. I'm again left with why why can't the rest of these fools figure it out? Because they don't want to. Because, like, in the case of A League of Their Own, we just applaud the lazy storytelling. I tried to have this conversation over the weekend because I was told I was wrong. And it was by a person who hasn't even watched that show that we talk about on Tuesdays. And she's like, I heard it was good. I'm like, so? I go, people are trained to like mediocrity. That's why Virgin River is going to last until I die. Is it because we are, because the world is such a heinous dumpster fire, we just need something that's easy peasy breezy? I miss impactive storytelling. I do. I like, because for me, that's what it is. It's the range of emotions and you're supposed to make me feel emotions. You know what? I'm going to say it. That Idris Elba movie, Beast, where he punches a CGI lion to save (laughs) his kids. It was the most tense movie I've ever been at. And they made it heartfelt somehow. (laughs) Did you go see Beast? I did on Saturday for $3 movie day. $3 movie day at every cinema. Yeah, yeah. Let me know when you want to sponsor me. Yeah. I'm your girl. I didn't realize I, I missed $3 movie day. I was really sad about it. But this is what happens when you don't talk on the weekends. I don't know what's happening in your this life. Is, this is what happens every time my sister comes to visit. She comes to visit and we're sitting in around. And there will be a stupid movie that is playing that we know that no one will sit in a movie theater for but us. And then one of us side eyes the other one. And they're like, so that ridiculous movie, right? Where like Idris Alba punches that lion in a face, right? Like that's going to be so dumb. And then the <laughs> other one goes, yeah, it probably is going to be dumb. But like, I wouldn't hate watching I mean, Idris, Alba Idris Alba punch a lion out of a car. And yeah. then you sit there and you're like, so we're going to go see the lion <laughs> tomorrow, right? Like we did it with that movie that was shot on the iPhone where that woman gets admitted into the psych ward without oh, her uh-huh. consent. Yeah, I forget what that movie was, but it changed us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's but it's you're right though because okay, so there's this fine line that's happening, right? Because like there's this conversation happening on I think it's TikTok where people are like, you know, name a name a black movie within the last ten years that didn't have a heavy handed message about being black and what it's like to be black in America. East. And I was like, but Thank they're not in America. <laughs> Oh, they are in Africa. Yeah, different. And and like, there is this whole B plot about how like his wife came from the African village that they are in, uh-huh. and she done dead, and so like his kids hate him, <laughs> and like he's just trying to connect with them in Africa. <laughs> Let's go to your mother's roots on and safari. see if her spirit is here. And then he's got a bunch of lion <laughs> CGI lion. I wouldn't mind seeing it. Idris Elbra is fine. Honestly, and you know what? It makes my rule. It makes my, this movie is an hour and a half long and therefore it will be perfect. It yeah, will wrap yeah. up everything nicely. Nice. And it will do exactly what I need it to do. There you go. Um, let's talk, Oh, hey, let's throw out the crawdads. People literally masturbated with that book on TikTok. The book was terrible. The, the goddamn crawdads. Like, oh, have you read where the crawdads sing? No, I haven't. <laughs> I have, and I wish I hadn't. It's, it's the book of our generation. So no. I, and I saw the movie because Taylor Swift slaps. <laughs> and I wanted to see what petty feelings she put into song. Also, my air conditioning was broken. So I had right, I remember. 
So I went and I went and saw the crawdads. And I told Jules, I was like, I mean, I get it. I enjoyed it. The body is pretty. Everyone did a good job. It's a decent story. I go, but it's just to kill a mockingbird with a little white girl from the swamp. <laughs> it didn't make me feel anything. I was never stressed out for her. Nothing. I was like, this is going to work out for you. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, it was just a beautifully shot film with yeah. decent with costumes. Gators. Yeah, in the beast movie too and you know i'm more out of all the animals in the chain i never want to look a gator in the eye because they're sneaky and they're fast that's the, that's how they survive like they're sneaky and they're fast uh-huh i don't understand people who have them as pets like that doesn't right. make any sense to me i don't forget, get it forget this unhinged lion that is trying to then seek vengeance on its yeah. killed pride i'm yeah. worried about the gators because yeah. they they, I watched a gator eat a shark. No, in Florida. I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. I've seen that YouTube video. Yeah, we're good. I don't ever want to see that YouTube video. Please don't send it to me. A gator take down a shark. No, I'm good. I'm not a fan. I do think that with, um, like I personally feel that Thelma and Louise is, you know, um. What's the word I'm trying to say? You know, a lot of people praise it for being this like feminist iconic movie, all these things. But what I think it really does is highlights just how hard it is to be a woman. Yeah. When it comes to wanting autonomy, you know, Susan Sarandon, Louise, she has autonomy in some way, right? She's allowed to have a job. She clearly was running from something, all these things. But Thelma wants autonomy so bad but she doesn't realize and know that she wants it until after that fateful night in the bar parking lot and so here they are now trying to figure out how to exist in a way where they can still have Mm -hmm. this you know they can exist within this awakening but then the world's like you done did something bad and oh if you had told us the truth you'd probably still go to jail probably um, also, the thing about Louise and what it highlighted for me, it's what this world makes us give up mm-hmm. in order to be a woman with autonomy. Yeah. And the thing that really is hard with that is, you know, the fact that she it's how far would self-defense had gone? Really? Mm-hmm. Would anybody have believed that? Probably not. And that's the thing that's really sad, because then again, even in death, this situation still prevails and favors men yeah and i think for louise and like and back to like your friends marrying mediocre dudes and then you just having to watch it's like louise doesn't even have the like luxury to marry her mediocre dude jimmy because like it then robs her of everything that she's built for herself Mm -hmm. you and i talk about that a lot it's one of the reasons why I don't want to have kids because it's like, there's nothing that like robs women of their autonomy faster than motherhood in this country. Yeah. And I say it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's a solid 10 years that you're giving up for sure. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it just kind of depends. Like in my situation, I think my, my child was like 10 or 11 when he started gaining a little bit of independence. And by independence, I mean like going to friends' houses because he had a solid group of friends that I didn't have to be at the 
Did you say driving? I said driving cars. I think you just got <laughs> close. You know, like she's gonna let it lie, like she was letting her ten-year-old drive cars. Oh my god, <laughs> no! But like you know, now you're at the friend's house, and I don't have to be there yeah. because, like, I know the parents. We've exchanged. You know, we've had enough interactions where I feel like my child will not get shot in your home mm-hmm. for some reason, kind of stuff. And so you do get a little bit back there. And slowly and surely, it's what's hard right now for me to watch is, you know, people who overschedule their kids because then you're not getting anything back. You're just continuing that 10-year position of being Mm -hmm. beholden to this little human who's dependent because you're their taxi. So you have to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday mornings do something with them every single day rather than allowing space to just be for stillness and quietness. And for me, that was the saving grace in parenting where it was just like, it's quiet time. Mm -hmm. On Thursdays, we don't do anything. You be in your room. You tell me when you're ready for me to make dinner. And it's just, you know. And then I get stressed out when I watch mothers try to have autonomy. I didn't tell you this because we didn't talk this weekend because I had guests. And I was um, moving. And you were moving. But there was an 18-month-old in the Beast movie. At the Beast movie? And she was crying because the movie is stressful. Yeah. I was like, I'm tense. Like. I've seen that trailer every single time I've gone to the movies in the last three months, which is a lot. And I, by the time we got to, like, the Crawdads movie, I was like, I can't with this trailer anymore. I will have a heart attack. Like, number one, the lion, they made the lion look scary. Mm. And we went into the five o'clock movie and we were walking out and like, I get it. You want to see a damn movie and maybe you thought your kid would sleep through it, but movies are loud. Mm -hmm. You're going to walk them up those stairs. Like they can smell popcorn. We all love popcorn. You argued with them about the expensive popcorn. (laughs) And then, like, and they were late, so then they also had to fight through the people. So the kids started crying before they were even seated. Oh, and then, and then you gotta walk out. And then they came back, and the kids started crying again and again. I don't know what happened because these kids cry, and then all of a sudden they're not. I'm like, would you smother that kid? What right. Happened? I know that that's not how kids quiet down. <laughs> yeah. And I just felt, and I told my sister, I was like, I'm about to start going to 10 p.m. movies. But you know it would still happen. Mm-hmm. So to watch parents, like, try to have a little bit of autonomy over what they get to do and watching it still not be what she wants to be doing because you just wanted to watch Idris Elba punch a lion and your kid's crying so do we just not hire babysitters anymore like is that not a thing people do anymore do we just not trust people to watch our children anymore that has to be it it had i i don't know what i would have done i had five grandparents to access and then you know that's but there's a lot of stuff that goes into that is a totally different conversation but when none of them are available i did hire people yeah well, and I was a street babysitter. I yeah. babysat every kid that lived on my street. Yeah. And I would just like, who's going out this weekend? And sometimes it would be like, nope, you've got all of them. And we've agreed that you will be in this basement that, with all of them. Uh-huh, that's happened to me too. Mm-hmm. Every parent is paying you something. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like I would literally just like rotate. And I would end up with all of them eventually because you'd play in the yard. 
and then all of the gremlins would come. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah. oh, are you? Namely's got the good snacks. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what's happened to babysitter culture. I have no idea. I have to imagine that people just don't have the disposable cash to pay people what it should actually cost. Because like that's true. That's fair. Cause if groceries are expensive, then yeah. hiring a babysitter is expensive too. Well, and so I was a babysitter in the early 2000s. Like I graduated high school in 2007. I probably started babysitting when I was in seventh or eighth grade because they were all on the street. I didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. And I'm thinking that I probably made 25 to 30 bucks every night. And because it was literally just like what cash parents had on them. And you were like, no one cared about minimum wage when you're 13. Right. So then I think the most I ever got paid was like 50 or 60 bucks. But that's because the parents didn't realize that they had double paid me. And then my mom went, why do you have this much money? I went, they double paid me because dad came home later than or like earlier than mom but like dad paid me beforehand because he knew that he was going to get rowdy and he couldn't count when he got home. And then mom came home early and she double paid me and mom walked my money back over there. And hot mom was like, you double paid her. And they were like, yeah, but Nanley got one on us because we're morons. So just let her keep that money. (laughs) I was just, yeah. Because they were like the neighbors were like, when you signed up to babysit for them, you were like, this could be till 1 a.m. This could be till 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Those uh, days. But yeah, I don't know what's happened with babysitters. That's interesting. I'd be curious. I should pool my friends with small children because it like I've mentioned many a times on my show, I had children 10 years before everybody else did. Um, we never finished. Did we finish talking about the truck driver or did we digress? Well, we digressed into how he was a reflection of every man, but they shot every man like they were a potential threat. Right, right. And I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, the truck driver, like, just, for me, it illustrated the escalation, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. at first, it's just, like, the wink and, like, the lewd, like, jack-off gesture yeah, or something. Yeah. And then he's screaming at you. And then, like, and all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then by the time they get, they find, you know, they're like, hey, come follow us. Wink, wink. And he's like, hey, girl. And he's like pulling off his wedding ring and all this stuff. And then when they're like, do you think it's appropriate to talk to people like that? You're crazy. I'm sorry. A woman calling you out for talking to them like they're a sexual object only on the planet for your want and desire does not make her crazy. I've only also can we stop just referring to women as crazy? Yeah. Period. The end. Even if they have a diagnosis from a professional, we are not doing this anymore. It is not okay. So the one and only bar fight that I almost instigated. (laughs) I was at the silent disco because silent disco is a safe place. It's my favorite way to club. You're all wearing your own headphones, having a singular experience together. No Mm. one has ever touched me or said something gross to me at silent disco but someone said something gross to my friend Uh oh and he wouldn't leave and he wanted her to leave with him and she knew him and like he came because he knew we would be there and he was trying to get her to go with him Uh and be like blow off your friends blah 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 and then he started talking to her nasty 
because he was accusing her of friend zoning him. And then I um, informed him that the friend zone was just an excuse that weak men use when they're too mediocre to date. Yes. But they think they've done all the groundwork Mm -hmm. because you may or may not have gotten her a cup of water once. Yeah. So, um, so then he called me some slurs um, that then they're the type of slurs that you use in reference to women who date women mm-hmm. because his go-to was if you're calling me out for being nasty to your friend, you must not like dick at all or whatever. And he was like nasty to me. And then I just remember taking my little like wristlet purse and pivoting to my other friend who was with us. And I went, hold this. <laughs> it's and Natalie's went, version of hold my beer. And she went, do you need to take off your earrings? <laughs> and I went, no. And I looked at him and I went, here's the thing. You can either walk away from this now and walk away of it, still walking like you could walk in or else I'm going to take you out into this parking lot or really right here and I will beat you until your friends don't even recognize you and you will have to call one of your bros to come and get you and tell them how hard I hit you and he looked at me and I went seriously say one more thing to me or my friends because that's how we do it on mama's side of the family Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he looked at me and he went no I'm gonna go home and I was like right because I'm scary I don't understand how we managed to create a world. We, we had nothing to do with it because we weren't allowed to vote until, well, my people weren't allowed to vote until 1964. Yours weren't allowed to vote until 1920, 1919. Yep. It's been about 100 years. Yeah. So, like, how did society manage to evolve in a way where this is still... Here's what drives me crazy. On the one hand, my black community mm-hmm. my folks on the black side are constantly told that was so long ago oh. slavery was so long ago so get long over ago. it but then on the other hand we can't we you want to ign- excuse horrible male behavior because that's how it's been for centuries so so do you see how i'm confused because this man these men in this film and in my opinion, the there's two that are okay. Jimmy and the cop. You disagree about the cop and that's fine. It's allowed. But it's like one of those moments in life when I'm just like, how is it that Jimmy is the only one who is evolved enough to not be like, these bitches be crazy? Right. Because your actions and behavior haven't driven me to a point where I can't take it anymore. Like, why isn't that acknowledged? Well, and I remembered a point that I wanted to make at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. So I am a true crime, probably former fan at this point. Mm -hmm. We're like, I can't live in it anymore. However, I am very aware of the difference that happens when men commit crimes and women commit crimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how we talk about when women commit crimes yeah and first off they'll tell you well according to studies women only kill people for money now i've watched a lot of snapped (laughs) i was gonna say snapped the original true crime podcast but i will say that i think The difference is when I look at when women commit crimes and when men commit crimes is men will just commit crimes because they've had a feeling 
Mm. And they don't know how to deal with that feeling because they're not allowed to be in touch with their feelings. Women will commit crimes to solve a problem that they Mm. themselves did not account for. Okay. So Louise solved a problem. Yeah, yeah, she sure did. She sure did. And then when presented with another problem, Thelma solved it. Thelma solved it. And she solved another one when the cop was giving Louise a hard time and all of it. Mm-hmm. So there's just like a difference between, but we're labeled the crazy ones. We're not yeah. killing anyone because we're angry or we're sad or we have cramps. <laughs> like, or because we feel left out. Right. It's literally just because like you hit us or you took our money or yeah. you were weird with our kid yeah. or any of it. Yeah. But men will look at you and be like, did you think highly of yourself for a fucking moment and kill you? (laughs) Yeah. And kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's, 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 that theory is strengthened by the way Harlan flips mm -hmm. on Thelma. I'm sorry. Did you think that your body was your own? I believe I, I bought you not one, but three drinks that I probably, I couldn't tell if it was laced. Because I can't tell when people started putting things in drinks. When did that start happening on the scene? Um, my first memory of being told to be mindful of my beverages, I think it was 16. So that was in 2000. Yeah. So, but at the same time, if Thelma isn't somebody who, and first of all, liquor and beer hit bodies differently. Correct. Um, so if she's not one who normally does a lot of alcohol consumption that wild turkey with a coke back <laughs> gonna, gonna hit real hard and when did they eat so she's drinking on an Never. empty stomach yeah listen i don't drink often but when i do drink it's uh it's a good time <laughs> yeah yeah i'm actually man <sighs> I am not a fan. If you're not a fun drunk, we cannot no. drink together Don't because I am a fun, like I am loving and happy. I mean, right. I'm like that anyway, but like it's just way more fun. Like I'm just a joyful person. Yeah. And so when people are angry drunks, I'm just like, that's not a vibe we need. You should not. You need to be banned. Do you not serve this fun. person. Goodbye. But yeah, it's just. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, the narrative always seems to be flipped. My new favorite narrative that needs to be flipped is when a scientist came out and said, here's the thing. When women are on their periods, their body produces more testosterone. So when you're saying that they can't regulate their own emotions, they're too angry. What if they pressed a button or something because they are leaders? That means that no man should ever be a leader because they naturally have more testosterone than all of us. I was like, thank you, science. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so – it's just – first of all, it breaks my heart that Thelma and Louise is still super relevant 30 years later. Like, that's – like, we've got to do better. We have got to do better. Secondly – I mean them. Yeah, I can't do any more better. I made a podcast. I've got angry T-shirts. Yeah, I guess all my friends. It's more of a collective we rather than a you and I we because we are doing work to sort of call out these uh, egregious behaviors. You you more so in the world of misogyny. Mine more so in the world of uh, race. Um, With that said, it is because I think so. I was 
so it came out in 91 so i was probably saying i wasn't allowed to watch rated r movies until i was 17 so i probably saw it in 2001 were you allowed to watch rated r movies that your parents wanted to watch though because i wasn't allowed to watch josie and the pussycats because it was (laughs) pg-13 however i was allowed to sit through water world so So my parent my mother has a strong no rated r rating rule oh. yeah for as long as i can remember and i forgot for a while because you know when you don't live with your family and you yeah, don't do things yeah and then i was like oh mommy do you want to go see this movie with you she's like what's the rating it's like r she's like nope <laughs> it's like what she's like i don't see rated r movies and it's like oh yeah i forgot about that um but having seen this movie at 17, it kind of was like this moment of like, is this what I have to worry about? Like, because yes. coming from a world and and now I'm having a whole revolu- rev- revolution, revolution revolution about my um, youth. And, you know, but that's not the point. That's not this podcast is not this episode. But, you know, it was this moment of like, men can be harmful, like what because that wasn't necessarily the world i understood because now that i'm older and we have better language for it i understand there are things that happened to me that were way more nuanced than what mm-hmm. they were than what we see in Thelma yeah. louise but it was that little note of like you need to be you need to be on your game because they right. will call you crazy if you try and say something happened to you. And it is on you to be on your game. Yeah. Like no one in this world is going to keep you safe. Right. So you better do it. Right. Because I also remember, not that she ever said it out loud, but the way that my mother would talk to me about assault or getting myself in trouble or any of it at a party, at the movie theater, anything was you know better you've been told better like yeah it's always on you it doesn't make it doesn't happen and to an extent it's like yes you control how much you handle yourself right like i had Mm -hmm. a conversation with a friend a couple years ago a couple months ago i don't know what it's time and she was at a party and she had said you know don't let me she told somebody she's like don't let me get too drunk and he's like you're the only one in control of that fair like that is a fair point um but there is a point too I had another friend another time she had a drink at a wedding and was pretty much knocked out and everyone's like that's strange and I was like you were probably drugged because Mm -hmm. you have a very high alcohol tolerance Mm -hmm. the amount of alcohol you consume you had a glass of wine and you were you were drugged you were 100% drugged but you know nobody wanted to acknowledge that whatever so there's like a level again it's that it's the nuances it's the balance it's the circumstances and i think that thelma and louise really brings all of that to light yeah i had a friend one time pretend like he was going to slip something in my drink to the bartender and i was standing there so my friend thought that that joke was going to land no but he made the joke like i you know i'm going to put something in it you know so she's nicer and the bartender laughed and I looked at him and I went, I realized that my buddy was making a really poor joke and I will scream at him later about it. I go, but as a bartender who is handling women's drinks all day, every day, I would hope that you would take that a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Because what if your friend wasn't joking? Right. What if your friend wasn't actually a good person and you didn't know it yet? Because sometimes it takes time. Right. Because sometimes... 
the killer is across the table. That's what Jonathan Groff told me on Audible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So don't trust your bartenders either. <laughs> At least not in the Midwest. I don't know. That, that last scene, the chase scene, that's the most iconic scene yeah. of ever. Like, Where they launch themselves off of a canyon. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. I also felt was an over-dramatization. I was like, I get it. Because we want to be free. But free don't need mean to be is free is dead the only way women can be free apparently <laughs> apparently mm -hmm. which is really upsetting um so here's my final question how comfy are you with this movie oh this fucking movie rocks this fucking movie rocks and it's because it's still so timely so it's one mm -hmm. of those movies from the 90s where you can watch it and you go, I've been Thelma and I've been Louise. And it's a drag being both of them. Mm -hmm. And it's still a drag to be Thelma or Louise. And it's still something that we need to be actively talking about. So this movie should be taught in film theory, in fucking psych courses, in social work courses. Fucking make your kids watch this movie. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I think I'm going to force my child. I was like, oh, maybe we'll go to the movies when he comes home. No, I think I'm going to make him watch this movie. It's I a very white movie, it. but they're in the South. Yeah, Arkansas. I mean, parts of Arkansas, sure. Um, <laughs> the one African-American man is smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. And listening to what was that reggae music? Yeah, I was like, okay, 1991. I was like, mm. <laughs> look at that. 1991. I also am. So because I've seen this movie so many times and been watching it basically my entire adult life, I am still very comfy with this movie, but I'm also very disappointed that uh, you could literally, you know, take away the bad 90s fashion because there's some styles in the movie, like towards the end, especially where you're just like, I'm sorry, is this being filmed right now? But like her frilly bikini and things like that, yeah. you know, it's like you could take those things out and it would still like you could drop this movie into 2022 and it, and not change a fucking thing a other word. than the other than the black guy smoking weed, pulling up to the cop like that. I mean, that's maybe. probably the only thing that would change. But you could drop it into 2022 and it would be right. exactly like exactly as it is word for word verbatim and it would still fly. So what you're saying is you're comfy with the movie. You're not comfy with the year of our Lord Savior 2022. I guess so. Right. Is that the, truly the message of the show? It's like, hey, watch what you watch. But we're not living in comfy times. <laughs> no, we are not. We are not. And it's so upsetting because it's, it's like I would like to not be worried about walking my dog or yeah. you know little things like that i don't know mm -hmm. i don't know i had somebody tell me i'm so relieved that you're moving into that neighborhood we feel so much better your neighborhood will be so much safer and i was like this neighborhood isn't any safer than my last neighborhood at least in my last neighborhood the drug dealers made sure nobody stole shit out of my fucking yard boom <laughs> Like, oh, uh, thank you for showing me your colors on how you feel about unhoused people. Oh, and kids, I guess the true moral of tonight's show is get to know your local criminals. 
and build a bond with them. <laughs> they look out for you. We look out for them. Honestly, like, so we had, for, when we first moved into that neighborhood, I just moved out of, we were riding our bikes because we were near the trail and it was, it was so lovely. And you know, this guy is just kind of hanging behind and me and my kid at the time. And I was just like, okay, that's weird. So he had to been like eight. Yeah. Cause he was eight when we moved in. So he had to been like eight. And I'm like, this is strange because I've been trained my whole life to be aware of my surroundings because we were beautiful children. And it was always a very big concern of my parents that we would get stolen. Well, as you know, I was too ugly to kidnap. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're riding along and, you know, a couple weeks later, whatever, we're at national night out and, you know, the house across the street, which a lot of people like to shake their heads at, but you know what? They don't fucking hurt anybody. I mean, have people overdosed on the shit they've sold them? Probably. But they're, you know, they're not, they're not hurting me, um, which is a bad attitude to have. Anyway, so I'm talking about it at National Night Out and they're there. And one of the guys was like, the next time that happens, you ride your mic to my house and I will handle it. Yeah. I, I'm new to the, I'm new to the neighborhood. I don't know this guy. And since then, no one's fucked with us at all. Get to know your local friendly criminal. <laughs> yeah. I was like, eh, I mean, what is, what are the drug laws anyway? Right. Like in California, marijuana is legal now. So I'm kind of like, whatever, smoke your pot, like smoke your pot, sell your pot, make your brownies. And, uh, in, and in my County, you can only have six plants for home use. And I'm like, eh, does it even matter how many they have? Like people complain about the smell and I'm like, I can't tell the difference between that and a skunk. So it's fine. Just do you don't get my house raided. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do love when a stranger will be like, don't let people be creepy to you because I'll get violent. And in a lot of people's lives, that's me. Where I'm like, (laughs) you need someone to get violent. And they're like, no, I don't really think that I need someone to get violent. I'm like, because I'll, fucking get violent (laughs) it was just it was I guess it was like comforting too to know like you like he's basically telling me you do not have to be a single woman in this world and feel unsafe like that's what he's telling me without say without not in those words and that's we need more of that we We need need more more people to be less the I'm gonna follow you because I think I'm going to steal you and more of the hey don't be a fucking asshole making people feel creeped out yeah anyway (laughs) friend please tell everybody where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online hi I'm Natalie Katona I'm the host of to all the men I've tolerated before This week on Thursday, we will be releasing an episode about Annie C., a great friend of mine in the podcast, and I talking about reality TV and how it reflects the hellscape that we're living in. Oh, Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Last week, me and Caroline Addington from the Co-Create podcast talked about enlightened men and the ones that try really, really hard to convince you that they're an ally and they're not. Um, they just read a book <laughs> or a meme <laughs> that they're commenting to you. And then um, I sell bracelets now on Etsy at no niche for nap. You can't really see them. <laughs> Go online. <laughs> and we have merch. We have Halloween merch. Um, so if you're thinking, hey, it's spooky season and I want to celebrate, but I still want to express how angry I am. At the year 2022, I got you. We got t-shirts that say always screaming about misogyny, 
My past relationships still haunt me. Uh, the patriarchy is scarier than Freddy Krueger. Did you know? <laughs> and those are at the To All the Men I've Tolerated Before merch shop and on the Etsy shop. So follow me at Men I've Tolerated Pod and I'll get you every link you could ever ask for. Well, that's good. I'm very excited about your merch. I can't wait for payday so I can buy something. Like, um, the patriarchy is scarier than Freddy Krueger. It is. (laughs) Because it is. Because the patriarchy is around while I'm asleep and while I'm awake. Freddy Mm Krueger is only around when I'm asleep and I don't sleep. So, So that's that's a pretty good there. Friends, you know where to find us. Pop culture makes me jealous wherever you find your podcasts. We are in rebroadcast mode, summer rebroadcast mode, which is actually going to seep a little bit into fall because I've moved. So I need to find I need to find all the things that I actually record on and all the things that I've recorded on so I can put all the episodes together because somebody thought it was a good idea to move with unfinished products. Um, with unfinished products. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week... What's rebroadcasting this week? Probably one of these still comfies. I don't know which one. It's been a long road. But follow us uh, on the gram. Follow us on uh, the TikToks. We are. We just want to have those conversations with you. And if you've seen Thelma and Louise. Oh, Natalie, were you going to say something? Go ahead. Just don't forget to have me plug the next movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell us what's up next on the still comfy. So, um... Two weeks from now, I'm not going to do math. That's stupid. The 19th, that sounds right. Um, On the 19th, we'll be on the To All the Men I've Tolerated Before YouTube channel. So give it a follow. And we will be honoring Brendan Fraser for crying because he's so overwhelmed with how much people adore him and this The Whale movie. Not by watching The Whale, but by watching my favorite Brendan Fraser, George of the Jungle. Because he's a treasure and he's never done anything wrong. <laughs> oh, my favorite Brendan Fraser movie is Encino Man. But we will be watching George of the Jungle. <laughs> yes. Yes. But we need you to also watch Encino Man, Natalie. It's such a great film. George, yes. George and, and right now on to our Tuesday Night Still Comfy live show over on Instagram, we are talking about A League of Their Own. It, we are in episodes five and six next tomorrow. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to listen to Natalie, be upset about it. Just go off. I don't know what this show has done to me personally. (laughs) But I'm just, I've been told that other people think that it's adequate storytelling. And I'm like, and yet I'm bored the entire time. And then I'm just irritated that I'm bored. So I mock Abby Jacobson. (laughs) You know, it's okay, I think, to criticize things where, you know, I think a lot of people get blinded by the fact that it is a full queer cast, which is very uh-huh. exciting. We don't see it that. Very exciting. With love- that said, it's not a pass. As a member of the queer community, I love that we have a full queer cast on Amazon Prime. I just wish that they were being allowed to shine mm-hmm. <laughs> and that their characters were given depth and that the stories that they were telling moved me instead of made me go, come on. <laughs> yeah. 
friends do all the follows listen to all the shows we are so excited you're here and that you tuned in tonight and if you're listening to the replay we appreciate you for taking the time to listen to the replay um you heard it here first two weeks we are talking on natalie's um youtube and after we finish a league of their own on tuesday still comfies we're going back to we're going back to river the river court, court. <laughs> We're doing One Tree Hill season two. I can't wait to be back on the river court. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to be shown basketball, but that's not what's important about that's that show. That's not what the show's about anymore. Chad Michael Murray, I miss you brooding all over my TV. Yeah. I miss Dan Scott not blinking at me. <laughs> <laughs> His one suit that he wears all the time. His one suit. Love the suit. Shout out to the suit. I miss Haley and her brain. Fuck, I even miss Peyton and her angst. But most importantly, I miss you, Brooke Davis. You're an inspiration, and you're the reason why I'm the woman I am today. That and Chelsea Handler. Yeah. <laughs> All right, friends, you know what to do. Until next time, we'll see you in the DMs. See you in the DMs. Uh, and stay cozy out there. Stay comfy. Stay watching your bullshit. But also realize that 2022 is a scary place. I was like, is Natalie not going to tell everyone to stay comfy? Like, that's how we end the show. Stay cozy. I don't know. I'm a wreck tonight. It's hard. Life's been hard. Okay. Also, this show didn't have a song. The movie didn't have a song for me to sing. Should I just go back into Elvis? No. No. Did you listen to... Listen. Stop it. Stop it. Did you listen to the Celebrity Book Club? Priscilla no, episode? I have it. No, my favorite uh, celebrity book club has been June Diane Raphael talking about the Tory spelling. Oh my um, god, that episode is so good. And now I think I'm going to have to read that book. I know. I said this. I thought the same thing. I was I'm like, like oh, am I going to have to read this book now? I'm I have so to annoyed. read this book that Tory Spelling wrote. <laughs> You're going to die when I you like, listen to the episode about Priscilla Presley. You need to immediately voice memo me because, was, oh my. God. I would love for the Celebrity Book Club um, episode to launch a murder investigation into Aaron Spelling's death. <laughs> That's what I'm manifesting for the end of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. That love- episode was so good. June Diane Raphael, I know you're listening. Um, you and Jane Fonda, go ahead and tell her, no, she's not listening. <laughs> uh, you and Jane, are the reason that I'm going to be the woman I'll become. <laughs> I forgot that she did bridesmaids, not bridesmaids, yeah, bride, wars. bride wars. So after I listened to the episode, I because I listened to it on my drive home from LA, I was like, you know what I'm gonna watch tonight? Bride we wars. Need to, we need to do a monster-in-law movie, and we need to talk about how we were all lied to about Jane Fonda. Oh my god! See, I don't feel lied to about. Well, that's not entirely true. My family did try to feed the propaganda to me yeah. about Jane Fonda because they are the same age, like similarly aged. Um, but I never bought it. I knew, I knew she I was had, a real one. I had my mother, hot mom and another mother of the woman I went to see monster in law with. They both screamed at us and we didn't know who Jane Fonda was. We just knew that JLo was in a movie and we saw every JLo movie. Oh my God. I've known who Jane Fonda was my whole life. No, I've never seen Barbarella. Is that the Jane Fonda movie? I see. That, I'm thinking of a on like the one I know her best from is On Golden Pond. I've never seen On Golden Pond. Oh my god! 
her dad did he win an academy award for that movie find old people boring. oh my god natalie one day you will be old i won't look at the state of the world <laughs> <laughs> i won't be old <laughs> and i've always known it Okay, we already did the closeout. We got to end and take this to the DMs. All right. <laughs> Talk to you soon, friend. Bye. Bye.